My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Now, on my sabbatical, one of the things uh, that I really was passionate about was making some traction on a car I've been working on. Uh, I've got a 1966 Mustang Coupe, a basket case kind of thing. That's, that's me. I go after basket cases and see if I'm foolish enough to go for it. And it's working. And if you know anything about old cars, working on old cars, uh, there's a tremendous amount you have to do. Um, I want to show you this. This is what it looks like right now. It's on a rotisserie. So if you can think of a chicken... Just think about that. There's no fire or oil dripping. Actually, there's some oil. Um, but right now, it's on rotisserie. To get to this point, I've had to strip everything out of the car. I mean, completely. All the wiring, all the engine drivetrain, all the suspension, front, back, all the glass, all the interior. Just got the whole thing. There's nothing but sheet metal. And Ford, in its infinite wisdom back in the 60s, decided not to prime key aspects of the car, uh, those that come in contact with water. And so if a car sat for a long time outside, uh, you would get this rust in, in this area under the cowl in the front part there where the little slits are, where the air comes in. And then it would come into the, you know, the compartment of the car and it would rust the floor pans. And it's just a nightmare. And so that's the fun part. So uh, for the last you know, while, I've been cutting out floor pans, the cowl, and 180 spot welds. It's just amazing two weeks of loving work drilling out spot welds. Thank you. Uh, that, that Finally, you pull this out, and you put the new one in, and you prime it, and you get it in there. And the thing about sheet metal is even though you can buy the pieces that are supposed to fit perfectly, they never fit perfectly. You have to massage them. You have to cut them. You have to make them fit. You have to tack them in. You have to weld them. You have to get to the point where they're back to normal. You prime and get to this point. I still have a couple key parts to put in, uh, some torque boxes that are one inch too wide that now I got to cut them down and fix, got to tear them apart, put them back together. But it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun for me to be able to see something that once was gorgeous and now has fallen into disrepair and to get it back to that point. Uh, it's, it's been a long time since I've done this extensive work on a car, so I'm really excited about it. Uh, got to get the body done, the undercarriage done. This, this uh, winter, rebuild the carburetor and the engine and things like that. Get the transmission, uh, you know, refurbish the rear end. Get that done by the spring. Get all uh, the interior done. Get it painted. My goal is Father's Day to bring it to the car show. This Father's Day, but you can't hold me to that. Maybe next Father's Day. Who knows? Some Father's Day in the future, I'll be bringing it to sunrise. Now, in order to do all this work, you need some special tools. You need a welder. You need some cutoff tools. You need some torches. You need equipment that, you know, the average garage doesn't have. But those tools are the ones that help you get to the place. Now, what is in my heart and mind is for the car to be restored back to what it was, which is this. This is what it looked like when it was new. It doesn't look like, that's just the picture. It doesn't look like that now. 
So that could be a model, you wouldn't even know. Don't get excited yet, but it will. It's a GTA code, four barrel carburetor. It's gonna be fun, it's gonna be great, four speed. It's, it's you know, it's, I've got the vision. I've got this printed out, pictures everywhere in my barn so I can remember what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. But it's this image I have in my mind that is the end, when I finally get it to the point where I can start it up and drive it. And it actually, you know, stops and starts and turns and all that stuff, you know. And uh, the, the funny thing is, is once you begin to tear it down, it's not that complicated. It just requires a billion hours on YouTube and a couple Ford manuals, right? You could pretty much do anything on an old car. Uh, you could buy every part of it online. But the reality is, is it takes time and it takes tools. Years ago, uh, years ago, I just started out in ministry. A book had come out that was pretty revolutionary, a business book. I saw it as a ministry book uh, by a guy named Stephen Covey, and it just really popular, one of the early books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the habits that uh, was drilled into my heart was this, to see with the end in mind. I started thinking about that in youth ministry. What what does a fully developed uh, high school student look like? If if I've got a a sixth grader, a seventh grader coming in, and if I have this student for five or six years, and and it's in the ministry that that I'm responsible for as a pastor, disciple maker, what am I going to do on my part to to teach, to, to encourage, to do events, to challenge, to get this disciple, to get to the point where they're here, but then when they graduate and I pass the baton off to like a college age or they go to school or they go into business, they get married, whatever, that I could say, okay, that was the end. And, and this is what I could see uh, an 18-year-old fully developed follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is like a disciple. This is my description of a discipled student. And I mapped that out, put that out, because I wanted to see with the end in mind. And I wanted to back up and get there. This is seeing with the end in mind. Okay, it's a long end. It's going to be a while. Okay, it's a lot of hours, unbelievable, nights, days. Okay, but that's the end. And I keep this vision in front of me so I don't forget that the little thing I'm working on right now is a part of seeing with the end in mind. I think of our own Christian walk following Jesus in the same way. What, what does it look like to see with the end in mind? But before we get there, why don't we see where we are now? So do me a favor, close your eyes. Uh, no one's looking around, no one's grabbing your purse or anything like that. Um, just close your eyes and I want you to think about a couple things. First of all, I'm gonna make the assumption that you're a follower of Christ. If you're not, glad you're here, uh, but you're still on a journey too. So here's the first question. Think about those initial days, months, maybe years when you first encountered Jesus. You just became a follower of Christ. You had prayed to receive Jesus. You said, I'm on a journey of following Jesus. What was going on in your life? What transitions were happening in your life? What was morphing and changing? Was it some relationships, some beliefs, some behaviors? Maybe some struggles you were going through, addictions, And all of a sudden, you now believe in Jesus. Remember that. Some of you, that's a year ago. Some of you, that's 20, 30, 40 years ago. I get it. But think back to those early months, maybe years of walking on this journey. You had a lot of road to go ahead of you, but you're there at that moment. 
Uh, now think about it maybe uh, in your life. Uh, I know I've had this, probably all of us, if we're honest. We've had setbacks in our Christian faith. We've had struggles. You know, it's not all high up on a mountain peak. It's deep, dark in a valley where we're wondering where God is. Maybe we are struggling with sin in those seasons. It seems to wrap itself around us and pull us down. Remember those seasons? You might be in one now. Maybe you're just getting out of it. But there are, there are parts of your Christian experience that, that don't sound good. You don't want to talk about them. They're defeating. Yeah, you believe in Jesus, but it's just not working for you right now. And I wonder where you are now. Some of you have walked with Christ for years and for decades. Have you grown up those decades? Or are you still that first year over and over and over again? Have you reached what the Bible calls maturity in Christ? Where there's this uh, change that's overtaken you and your purpose, that your life has a different meaning now? Maybe that comes with age, but it definitely comes with years of following Jesus. Go ahead and open your eyes. I mean, we're all on a journey. One of the things I do when I do biblical counseling with people and I sit with people on this is I will actually say, and this might be a good piece of news for you, idea, is to chart out your spiritual life. And if you've never done that, man, I would do that this week. Get out a piece of paper. Mine fits on an eight and a half by 14 legal size. And uh, mark out the things, the moments, the events, the people in your life that you remember made a significant difference for you. Now, for me, I marked out my life, and and mine makes sense based on states in the United States, because we moved all the time. And so, you know, I start off in Indiana, and I got a little map of Indiana, and then move to California, and then I go back to Indiana, and then move to California. When I'm in Indiana, my grandma and grandpa are influencing me to Christ, not a believer, but taking me to church, dragging me to church, you know. And then then in California, and Indiana, and California, and Georgia, and Florida, and then Indiana, and then California, finally. And uh, by the time I was in 10th grade, I'd been at 13 different schools. And so we moved a lot. So all I can remember is that house versus this house, living on the farm over here versus living in my grandparents' house. And so, but I remember significant events that happened then where God was speaking to me and I will say calling me, but I wasn't really listening. Finally, in California, in Petaluma, in, in the late 70s, and he got a hold of me through a youth group. And all of a sudden, I followed Christ. And all of a sudden, my growth just went up. And I, I charted, I've got this on a chart, and I've just mapped it out, and I don't know what the numbers mean, I just know I was going up, you know what I mean? Up and to the right, and so I was growing. Went to college, doing well, and then kind of crashed, you know, got full of myself and thought I was all that and everything like that, and, and started believing my own press, basically, and bad thing to do, and then it just crashed. On the outside, it looked great, but on the inside, I was just die, dying inside. And then had some, you know, this re-experience where I started following Jesus in an intense way and just started shooting up. But, you know, you know things that mark out, like maybe getting married, maybe uh, getting a divorce, maybe, you know, uh, the death of a, of a child or a spouse or something. These are moments, going to school, getting a different job, being in a crisis mode, losing your job, right? These are times when you could say, uh, I, I can see that I was growing and then I kind of plateaued or I got stuck or stalled or stagnant and I'm, I'm down here now, I would encourage you to chart your spiritual growth because it's not a linear direction. It's not just one line where you go, okay, you pray a prayer and then one day you just, 10 years later, bing, you look like Jesus, right? It's not like that. It's not how it works. It's a journey. And in that journey, there are highs and lows. There are lefts and rights, right? There are detours. There are dead ends. And not everything in our life points to Jesus, right? 
What would it look like, though, to see where you are now? Because I want to, this week and next week, show you what is on the wall of, of God's barn as he remodels you and has you on a rotisserie right now, okay? As God sees the end in mind. Have you ever thought about that? That God sees the end in mind for you. And he has not just the vision to get to the end, but the the way to get you there. And so this week and next, and this should be a six-week series because I want to talk about six tools that God uses, special tools that he uses to get us there along the journey I want to talk about being conformed to Christ, and the passage is simply in Romans chapter 8. So if you grab a Bible, you could look at your sermon notes. Uh, It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. You you can almost miss it, okay? But this is the end in mind. This is when God sees you finished, this is it. So uh, there's a lot to unpack here. We're not going to be able to unpack the whole verse because it's really cool. But Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Rome, he says, and we know that in all things... So this is the ups and the downs, the highs and lows, the, you know, the wonderful prayers, the, the despondent times. And all things, this is when, when a baby's born or when a spouse dies. This is when, you know, you, you, you buy the house or you lose the house. You know what I can, This is it. In all things, all these things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. They're not good things necessarily, but he, he puts them in a direction that there's a good that's going to come to this for those who love him. Now, here it is, who've been called according to his purpose. God's called us. And Paul, around this whole thing, is talking about a journey that we're on. He said, oh, go back. We're not there yet. We're not on the journey. Just wait. We're moving. But we're not moving that fast. Okay. He says, for those God foreknew. Now, this is theological, and this is, I'll be honest, it's, it's hard for me to understand. Sometimes there are things in the Bible I don't understand. I just go, okay, you said it. I'm going to believe it. All right. One day, maybe I'll know. And I don't really think you care if I understand God. It's not going to, like, turn the world if I do or don't. You know, you're not waiting on me to figure this out. Okay, but for those he foreknew, this means a knowledge in advance. And, and how much in advance? Pretty far. He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now, here it is. Come back in just a minute. Conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And here he goes back again. And those he predestined, he foreknew, which is weird, before the creation of the world, the Bible says, the foundation of the world, he predestined, he chose, he called, and those he called, he justified. So there was a moment when you were called. Before you were born, you, you were foreknown, foreknown and you were, you were predestined. And then there was this point where you were called. For me, I was called uh, a lot, I think, in 1979. But December of 1979, that's when I really received the call. I responded to the call. I said yes to following Jesus. And then he justified. That's the made right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of our works. We're made right with God just as if we've never sinned. We're justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And that is this, um, this change, dynamic change in us. One day we'll have glorified bodies and we'll all look, you know, like whoever you want to look like. Maybe you'll look like you, but just the better you. I'm not sure. But we'll look like that, okay? And, and that'll be no sin, eradicated, heaven on earth, that kind of thing. But in the meantime, in the middle of all of that, here's what God sees with the end in mind. The likeness of his son. That God is on a mission in your life, in my life, to conform us to look like Jesus. That when he sees the end, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus in you. He sees you acting like Jesus, loving like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, praying like Jesus, responding like Jesus. Uh, I hope you read the Bible and I hope you read the Gospels 
But when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus on the earth for many years, but particularly three plus years. And, and how does Jesus live? How does he act? How does he feel? How does he think? How does he respond? What is his passion? What does he do? Well, that, that should be us, right? We are called the body of Christ. That's the church. But that means that the physical body of Jesus is gone. And he said, it's better that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come because the Holy Spirit then is going to do this work, okay? And, and you're going to have a representation on the earth called the body of Christ, which is going to be you, and I'm going to be living in you, all right? So this is the end in mind. When Father God looks at the end, he sees Jesus. Now, I, I know your friends really don't see Jesus in you, and those closest to you are laughing right now, okay? It's like, seriously? We are so far, right? I mean, we are so far. That's okay, though. That's okay, we're so far. But it's the Holy Spirit who's going to do this work to conform us to the image of Jesus. When I think about conform, um, the, the idea is the idea where we get the word morph or morphe or metamorphosis, and it is this gradual transition from one to the next. It is this change that overcurs. Some of it in bursts. Some of you know that. You like have this major experience and you're just like light years ahead. And other times it's like years that it takes to experience this change. Some of you, when you came to Christ, it's just like that. You were freed from addictions. And others, you've struggled for decades with those addictions, right? It doesn't seem fair. Some of you, in just a moment like that, have lost the most important part of your life. And others, they haven't. And, but we're all on this journey of being conformed to Christ. When I think about conformed, I think about a car, and I think about, yeah, I got a piece, a metal, I got a floor pan, and, and, and it basically looks like it fits. When you sit it down, you're like, oh, man, heat messed this up, or some manufacturer has made another part of the world that they didn't really ever see a Ford Mustang. They just built a part from a piece of paper, right, or a picture. And you got to cut, and you got to work, and you got to get it down there. You got to bend it. You got to twist it. You got to finally get it to the point where it is stable and secure, and now the whole structure of the car is stronger because you've restored that. To be conformed means to make this moment by moment, day by day change. The word, original language, is the idea to shape or fashion, but the implication is a smooth, gradual change from one image to another using gradual, natural, or supernatural steps. Now, God's mission in your life is not to give you a moral transformation. I mean, that will come. It's a spiritual transformation. God's not interested in people just being better people, right? It's like, let's just get better, everybody better and the world will get better. No, no. He's interested in an internal change of heart that then results in a change of actions. Now, I think about this. If you've ever seen any great statues, uh, Venus de Milo, or you've seen David, you, you've seen what somebody saw in a block of stone. Somebody, a Michelangelo perhaps, looked at this massive stone and saw David hidden inside that stone. And so he began to chip away pieces and work away pieces with various tools. If you've seen any, some of the amazing sculptures that have come out of stone, you will discover such intricacies. But it didn't start that way. In fact, many people would have said, that's just a block, right? That's just, it just weighs a lot and it's just sitting there. But the artist sees something inside of that and slowly, gradually, step by step, chips away to get to the statue that's hiding inside, right? 
And that is this morphing, this conform that God is doing in your heart, in your life. Now, I, I want to talk about six specific tools. And as I said, apologies up front. This should be a six-week series. I have two weeks, all right? So um, the sermons will be two hours long. <clears throat> and you're laughing, but you shouldn't be. You should be praying that I get going. It's been eight weeks since I preached here, so got to get going, James. Um, but the first tool, and we'll just go highlight, but the first tool is Scripture. I, th- I think one of the most amazing tools we have available to us is the Scripture, the Bible itself. This is what the Apostle Paul writes about the Bible. He says this. All Scripture, um, your Bible, you have a Bible or you have it on your app, your device, uh, physical Bible, the 66 books, Old New Testament, what you have here, all Scripture is inspired by God. Inspired means to be breathed out by God. It was God's initiative. It was God's plan. He, he carried the writers along, Bible says, but he breathed it out. It, it originated from him. It's his ideas, okay, put down by men on paper, okay? All scripture is inspired by God, and here it is, and is useful to teach us what is true. If we want to know what's up or down, right or wrong, left or right, it's right here, the Bible. Teach us what is true. Make us realize what is wrong in our lives, It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. One of the key tools God uses and he hands to us that gets us to the point of being ready, prepared, equipped to do the work he wants us to do is just the Bible. It's the scriptures. And, and the scriptures are beautiful. I mean, some, some people say it's really confusing. I say just start reading it. Get a modern translation, you know, and just start reading it. You don't have to try Latin. You know, that'd be tough, you know. Uh, it worked for them back then. It doesn't work for us. King James, I grew up on that, but half the sermon time was the pastor explaining the these and the thous and the whatnots, okay? I just get a Bible that you can read, okay? NIV, New Living Translation, ASV, whatever. Get something you can read and start reading it. Uh, if you're confused, just start reading in, in Matthew, okay? It's not that hard. But to start reading the Bible, all Scripture, all the Bible has a purpose to get us to the point of being ready. The first tool God uses, I think one of the most amazing tools, is the Scripture. And it does something in our lives. It does, it does a lot of things. First of all, um, and I will use the analogy I use with my sons to explain it, is that there are many paths in life. We were at Fort Stevens. There are a lot of paths, a lot of uh, paved trails. You can bike, you can walk, you can run. You can go to the batteries, Battery Pratt, Battery Russell. I found a new battery. We found a new battery, Battery Smur. It wasn't blue. I was disappointed. Battery Smur. It's like, where in the world? We never saw battery. It was way out there, okay? But there are trails, and there are maps along the way. So here's what the Bible does. The Bible teaches us what is true. In other words, it says, here's the right path. This is the path that leads to life. The psalmist says, I want to run, you know, in the path of your commands. I want to walk that way. I want to hang out with you, God, on the right path, okay? The Bible shows us the right path, and, and I hope you're on it. And, and, you know, we're on it at times. Sometimes we get off of it. Let's be frank, right? We get off of the right path, but that's the other part of the Bible. The Bible makes us realize what is wrong. It confronts us with the truth, which is never fun, when it, you know, shakes its bony finger at us and says, you're wrong, you're dead wrong, you got to get right, okay? But that's, again, that's God in love saying, you were on the right path, you got off the path. Then what the Bible does is, is, it, is it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. It, it teaches us how to get back on the right path, which is so good. It doesn't just call us out, it calls us back. And so we're now we're back on the right path. And, and it teaches us to do what is right in the sense that it strengthens us along the journey. God uses it to prepare and equip us. Now, 
Um, we've done a spiritual growth survey uh, for years and uh, a num- number of times over five years. And uh, I want to reveal the study to you because we just did it this last spring again. And it was a great response. Man, the, the category that our church gets put into, it was so refreshing to read this and to, to see this. And one of the things the writers of the survey discovered as they've surveyed thousands upon thousands of churches, probably 10,000 churches by the time this has gone out the last 10 years. So they have said that if, if you want a magic pill, if you want one thing that without question, without deviation, causes people to grow spiritually, we have discovered it as we've talked to churches and, and followers of Christ. And it is the one thing that is guaranteed to get your people to grow. And you know what it is? Reading and reflecting on Scripture. There's no question that if you, as a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus, you're checking it out, you're not, do it. Get a Bible, read it, chapter, just a couple verses a day, read it, and reflect on it, meaning meditate on it, think about it, apply it, kind of mull it over in your heart and mind. The number one thing you can do to bring change in your life towards being conformed to Christ, without question, is to daily read and reflect on Scripture. Now, I I, I believe it this way. I think that our lives are like a sponge. Our minds are like sponges. And if if I could just be honest, um, you know, most of us, there's not a lot in the sponge, right? Other than whatever we see on television or movies or music or whatever. Man, if I had one goal as a pastor, it would be that each of us had a Scripture-soaked mind that when we were squeezed, the words of God just flowed out of us. Wouldn't that be amazing? That if we had a scripture-soaked mind, that we thought the way God thought, that the lens that we see everything through is a biblical worldview that comes from the Bible, that we could have a heart, a mind, a soul that when it's squeezed, (laughs) and it will get squeezed, um, that the Bible comes out. And not, not, not because we worship the Bible, but because we worship the God who gave us the Bible, which is the tool. A scripture-soaked mind. The problem, though, is that most of us in the church, we know the Bible up here, but we are educated beyond our obedience, right? We all are. We know far more than we do. And, you know, Jesus said this in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you're a fool if you think that just hearing the word is enough because you're building your house on sand and the waves and the wind and everything going to crash it down. James, half-brother Jesus, said the same thing. He goes, you're a fool if you look in a mirror and you walk away. Imagine, you know, I'm out working in the barn. I always get stuff all over my face, you know, all of my arms. And I get dressed up, put a tie on, and go out to dinner with black stuff everywhere. It's like, you know, you get up in the morning and go, I should put some makeup on. You're like, great, and you don't. And some people go, you should put some makeup on. I don't know, you know. But, but if you just look in the mirror and go, I should do something, and then you don't, that's foolish. That's exactly what happens when you hear the word of God, but you don't do the word of God. You got to do it. You got to actually do something about it. Don't live for more information, but application. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It sure looks good in the can at Home Depot and Lowe's, right? But you got to open it up and paint it. Uh, here's an illustration uh, that, that my son, he, he really impressed me. He's, uh, you know, my middle son, really artistic. They've all got ar- artistic talents. And the middle one loves crafts and creativity. And so this uh, spring, we were looking at Starry Night by Van Gogh, not, not the real one in New York, but a picture of it. And he was saying, I'd love to learn how to paint that or whatever. So I start talking about Van Gogh. I know so much about Van Gogh. 
Uh, I may know more than everybody in this room about Van Gogh. I've stood in front of Starry Night a couple times in New York. Um, I've been to Amsterdam to the Van Gogh Museum. I've been to several places in his life. I've read his letters. You know, his, uh, I, I, I've studied. I, I know he was a pastor. I know that didn't work out. Um, a little melancholy for a pastor. A uh, lot melancholy. He went into the art business and decided that he could do it himself, and he did. And I know about the paint and the brush strokes and the canvas. I know a lot. I know a lot. I've seen so many of his works of art. Starry Night's my favorite, okay? Um, so Noah said, hey, let, let's, uh, I would love to paint that. I'm like, why not? So I go online. You can find anything online. I find a kit to, to allow you to paint Starry Night, okay? And you're not going to sign Vincent at the bottom, but that's okay. It's going it's to be yours. And so he gets it and uh, opens it up, and it's a nice canvas, you know, museum quality. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and, you know, stretch it, and he starts painting, and there's a picture of the finished version, all stuff. And he's making traction on this, and he's doing such a great job. Now, there's only one problem. I also ordered a kit for me. <laughs> but you know where it is? It's still in the package. Even though I know so much about Starry Night, my son knows Starry Night at a level that I don't yet. Because he got out the paintbrush, and he dipped it in the ink, in the paint, and he started painting. And he's able to see how Vincent did strokes and thick, thick, thick paint, and he's studying colors, and he's examining the variations of colors, and all of a sudden he steps back, and, and he got to do that. It's not going to be worth millions, but it's going to be worth something to him, because he did it. See, so many followers of Christ are like me with Van Gogh. I know. I know. I just know. But I haven't applied it yet. I haven't done anything about it. Spiritual maturity is not about information. It's about application. Uh, the next tool, and unfortunately, we kind of have to go quickly through some of these, is the Spirit, the Spirit of God. When I thought about the Spirit of God, I wanted to pull this verse out. And this is 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, Paul says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Now, the reason I pulled that out was because when I first read this in this translation, I had to do a double take because I'd never read that before. Because I've always read, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? To which I thought, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're so individualistic, right? We're so narcissistic. We're so, it's about me, right? But it's not singular. It's plural. You, all, together. Or if you're from the South, y'all, okay? <laughs> y'all are the temple of Christ, okay? You are just a block. Head, maybe, just a block, okay? Your piece, your stone, being fitted together. The, the, the picture of the Bible is that God, and Isaiah says this, that out of the quarry, he hewn you, he cut you out, and he, he, he pulled you out. If, if I've got a buddy that works with stone and marble, and he travels the world and looks in the quarry, says, I want that, I want that grain, I want that thread, I want that, and he gets that, and he puts, and he builds something great out, right? That out of that quarry, he saw you, he pulled you out, he cut you into the pieces, fitted you, fashioned you, assembled you into the pieces of the temple, put you together in such a beautiful way, there's not even a piece of paper that can slide in there that is perfect with Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone that sets all the angles, that sets the pieces, and he, we together, he is building us into the temple of Jesus Christ, where it says the Spirit of God lives inside of us, that we are that temple that God is building. And it is God's Holy Spirit that is doing the work inside of us. Um, I, I wrote, just wrote down a couple things. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, first of all, in creation, the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. We see the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. 
Um, We know that the Spirit inspired the words of God, the Scriptures. Uh, The Bible says He regenerates us, means He gives us new spiritual life. We're dead spiritually, and yet He gives us life. Uh, Then He indwells us. He takes up residence inside our lives. He intercedes for us. He prays for us. He is working on our behalf. He comforts us, encourages us in moments of weakness and struggle. He matures us to grow us to the image of Christ. He guides us when we need help and direction. He convicts us of sin. Uh, The Bible says that we as followers can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just can, we should be filled. We should be filled up with the Holy Spirit of God, living our lives in such a way that we're directed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, We can grieve the Spirit. We can quench or put out the Spirit's fire in our lives by our sin. We can resist the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We can even say no to the Holy Spirit, but you don't want to do that. If you have a question about that, read Acts chapter 5. That's a good story. Um, Led to death. We can yield our lives in control of the Holy Spirit. All of these things either cause spiritual growth or pause spiritual growth. Your response to the Holy Spirit. And I would say in the same way, do you have a spirit-soaked life? When you need power, direction, guidance, when you need correcting, it's the Spirit of God clearly working your life. You know, and you may not be an outward type person, that's okay, but inwardly you know the Spirit is guiding you. The third tool, the saints, not talking about people that people pray to and statues and stuff like that. The Bible says if you're a follower of Christ, you're a saint, okay? So I know we sin, we struggle, but categorically we're saints, okay? So we are believers in Jesus Christ, the saints, God says. Um, I, wanna, I want you to think about people. Close your eyes one more time. Who were the people that influenced you toward Christ or toward major steps of growth? Who were the people? Think of a man or a woman. Maybe you were in youth ministry, high school group, whatever, or older, a small group leader, a pastor, a neighbor. Somebody influenced you to Christ. You can see them. Open your eyes. I see uh, Terry James. Terry was a high school student, uh, a year older than me. I was at a retreat in Truckee, California, and I was not happy because my mom made me go, and I was so bent on coming back home and saying it was the worst thing. I'm so glad that you forced me to go because I told you so, that it was going to be bad. And lo and behold, Terry, uh, just with a simple invitation to play a game called Pit, a silly game, I said yes, and that opened my heart crack began to form in my heart and and into it friends relationships people youth sponsors jesus began to pour in began to change me from the inside out to the day when i said yes to christ her mom dorothy uh who who is still a friend uh she was my Sunday school teacher and she was just one of those wild and crazy ladies i love wild you know people that are like man that, that, that lady's weird that's dorothy is the first weird person in my life she was like crazy for jesus i want to be like somebody like that just passionate about jesus um i have some guys doug roland who was a missionary uh you know in in waiting till he could raise money to go to great britain he poured into my life i went to college scott becker he poured into my life he was a resident assistant a couple years old he says i see something in you, james would you spend time with me and i, I started becoming like scott Rich Rollins, the dean of students. These are people that said, I want to invest in your life and my life has been forever changed because of them. Who are those people in your life? And if you don't have those people, you're missing out on one of the key tools that God has for growth. Now, I'm hoping you're that person in someone's life, sure. But I think you should always be discipling someone. You should always be discipled by someone, you know? And if you don't know about the word disciple, let's say mentor. 
You should always be mentoring someone, and you should always be mentored by someone. God uses followers of Christ to radically impact our lives. Hebrews 10, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now, motivate, when I first read this years ago, it was NIV, and it said, spur one another on. And all I can think about is John Wayne on a horse, you know what I mean? Spur one another on. And it's kind of funny because this word, uh, to motivate underneath there, does have this idea of being an irritant. So if you have people that are irritants in your life, they're a gift from God, okay? Now, don't go around and go, I'm a gift from God to you if you're an irritant. No, you're just a jerk, right? Okay, but if you have people in your life that it's like, oh, it's such a struggle, they're spurring you on to love and to good deeds. Think about ways to motivate one another, acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, weekend services, small groups, accountability. Whenever we do Bible study prayer, we got to meet together, right? As some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The idea is simply this. You need other believers in your life. And, and, and the litmus test of your spiritual growth, really, truly, the litmus test of your spiritual growth, just simply examine the nature and quality of the relationships you have in the body of Christ. When you push away other believers, when you shun those relationships, when you become a, a lone ranger, a lone wolf, an isolationist, you make a good American, but you make a bad follower of Christ because you miss out on community. And in our world, we're individuals, but we come to Christ, we're a family, we're brothers, sisters, we're adopted into this family. Now, what we're talking about to kind of draw it to a close is spiritual formation. We're talking about how God forms us into the image of Christ. I want to leave you with one scripture here, and that is from 2 Corinthians, and it's a beautiful wrap-up of this. It says, so all of us, the Apostle Paul says, who have had the veil removed, we've come to faith in Christ, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Here it is in the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. One day we will see him face-to-face, the Bible says. And what transition will still be remaining for you? I want to apply this, and I want to look at the first tool. When I think about the Scripture itself, we do this at Sunrise. We talk about the different parts. God has a part. We as a church have a part. You have a part. If you come to my office, you need any biblical counseling, this is what I talk about. Okay, don't expect God to do everything because he's not going to do everything. Don't expect us to do everything, because we're not going to do everything. But what's your part as well? So God's part of Scripture, um, God inspired it. He already did it, and he illuminates it. That's a theological word, meaning when you read the Bible, he helps you understand it to the point of application, that you live, you're different because of it, okay? That you're, you, it's like it lights up in our lives. That's God's part. He's already done that, and he promises to do it when we read and reflect on Scripture. Our part as a church, want to preach it and teach it. We're preaching and teaching. We're in small groups. We're in accountability groups. It's about teaching you, instructing you, the Word of God, challenging you in the Word of God. That's what we do, okay? Uh, your part, though, again, like I said, you've got to read it and reflect on it. You've got you to read and reflect on it. In your study notes, there's sermon notes at the end, are some questions that could help you do so. The second tool, the Spirit of God, what is God's part in this one? Well, God indwells you. He empowers you. When you follow Christ, the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life, and you are now in, just filled with the Holy Spirit, and he empowers you to do the work. He's our, this is God's part. Our part, we want to assemble you together. We want to equip you, enable you to do those things, to help you get sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit, to respond you know, with a yes to the Holy Spirit when he calls. Your part, though, is, and this is what Paul says, you've got to be filled 
got to keep being filled. And I, just like I got to keep filling up my tank and my car, it runs out of gas as I drive, right? It just, there's this, this, this lowering, every, it's the gauge, it's like the yellow light. I mean, what's going on here? It's called, you just life takes gas out of you, right? Okay, you got to be filled up with the Holy Spirit and you don't put out the Spirit's fire. And then finally, when it comes to saints, God's part is he's adopted us into this family, the body of Christ. You, you are brought into the family, adopted. All that work is done. You are now in the family. Our part as a church, provide opportunities for fellowship. That's why we are so passionate about small groups, whether it's a mentor group, accountability group, with, with any age, children, youth, adults. So you get in relationship with people. But your part is to actually engage in relationships. I say this a lot, but if you just come to the weekends, you're missing out on half a church. It's, it's great if you want to sit there in rows and look at me, you know, um, but I would much rather you sit in circles and look at each other. It's a different environment, and you need that for your spiritual growth. Don't give up. Hey, you might not know this, but believers will hurt you. you nobody's laughing, because you know it's true. Christians will disappoint you. Followers of Christ won't look like Christ sometimes. Don't give up. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on this one. I know it hurts. I know it's a struggle. Maybe some of you have left a church because of that. You've left community because of it. Don't give up on the family of God. We're all broken people walking together on this journey. The vision of our church, lead people in a growing relationship to Jesus Christ. We want to lead you to Jesus. That means we're all doing this together. We have a part as a church. God has a part, and you have a part. And I would encourage you to consider what your part is this week. And if we can help you in that part, if you need us to come alongside of you to help you understand God's part and to pray that God will do his part, we would love to do so. In fact, after service, we'll call you forward to respond to this. How can we together walk the three parts of your own image of Jesus transformation? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your message, uh, for what you have given us as an end vision to look like Jesus it's not always easy it's not always pleasant but it is in the long run the dream that you have for us and it should be the dream we have and so may we respond to our part the part that we have whether it's the scripture the spirit or the saints if we could just take one thing away God what is that step we need to take in obedience to your truth it might be difficult it might be threatening we might have been hurt and wounded we might have doubts and questions may we just take those steps of faith and walk on the journey and we trust that you will do your work because it is your spirit doing that work inside of us to conform us to christ we pray in his name amen